Welcome back to a brand new episode of Learning As I Go. I just want to do a massive shout out to our sponsor, British Triathlon. And today is very poignant because we are joined by a European and world, ex-world champion triathlete, Non Stanford. This lady has been through so many ups and downs. And if you know about this sport, where well, you're about to get to know about the sport, you will know how tough it is. And she's got to the absolute peak of her career. So please sit back, get ready to tune in to another life lesson with learning as I go. Non, welcome to the Learning As I Go studio. I am very privileged to have a European champion triathlete in the building. British Triathlon is sponsoring this podcast. And as part of that, I'm training for my first sprint triathlon. And that's why I've got a completely like kind of newfound respect for anybody who can get to your level in this sport. Because it's really difficult, right? It's three different disciplines. It's That means you've got to be great at swimming, biking, and running. Tell us a little bit about the sport in terms of from your perspective and why you love it. Well, firstly, thank you very much for having me here. It's uh, probably the nicest studio of any sort that I've ever been in. So, <laughs> Yes, I'll take that. Thank you. Yeah, triathlon is um, an incredible sport. I only got into it when I was 19 years old. Um, I grew up sort of doing loads of different sports and sort of when I was at university, kind of fell into triathlon and instantly fell in love with the variety that the sport offered, the challenge that it offered. And for me, it was almost like the, the newer, shinier model of the marathon. You know, it just sort of presented that sort of ultimate endurance challenge. And it's just meant that every day is different with training. And I really, really enjoyed that. I had come at that point from a running background and I think I just got a bit stale with just running so enjoyed the the variety that triathlon offered and it's such an inclusive sport you know you go to world champs and you have the professionals racing and the elite level but then you also have all the amateur age groupers racing at the same event on the same course and I think it's a really close-knit community I think everyone feels a part of the whole family rather than just sort of the professionals at the top and then everybody else sort of doing their own thing underneath I think we're we're a big family really and um, I think it's a brilliant community and, and that's why people fall in love with it. Yeah, do you know what? I've really noticed that myself ever since I've started doing my training. So many people are coming out of the woodwork. People you wouldn't expect who would be even doing this kind of sport. And there's so much support and love and everybody wants to help each other and guide each other through it. And I think it's really interesting what you said then. It is kind of, no disrespect to anyone who does marathons, but it, it kind of makes marathons look a little bit boring now because you are literally mixing up three different sports into one race. So tell us about the distance as well. So for example, you do the Olympic distance. So tell me what's involved with each one. So an Olympic distance triathlon is the distance that we race over at the Olympic games. And that's a 1500 meter swim, a 40 kilometer bike and a 10 K run. And those distances were decided because the longest distance in the swimming pool that you can race over is 1500 meters. The longest distance that they do on the velodrome mm -hmm. uh, for cycling is 40 K and the longest distance that they run on the track is 10 K. So that's why it made the Olympic distance triathlon. Uh, there's a lots of different variations that you can do. So you can go shorter and do the sprint distance, which is half of that distance, which is what you're doing yeah. in Sunderland. Yeah. The other event at the Olympics is the mixed team relay, and that's done over a super sprint. So each of the four athletes in the team do a super sprint triathlon, which is a 400 meter swim around an 8K ride and a two and a half K run. And then you can even go longer if you want to. So the crazy people that do Ironman and half Ironman kind of distances. So there's a whole, you know, range of um, events that you can take part in in triathlon. I think, again, that's part of the appeal. Mm. There's lots of different versions that you can do and you can do your own, you know, set yourself your own challenges and have your own goals within the sport. Mm. But I mean, to put in perspective, those distances on their own for the Olympic distance don't seem like kind of outrageous. But the fact that you're doing them one after the other all in the same race. Uh, what's the quickest time you've ever completed those three? It's a good question. Um, <laughs> I don't actually know because each course is different. Right. I think it's probably around an hour 50 right. uh, would be the quickest. I think the quickest I've ever run off the bike 
is 33 10 33 minutes 10 but that included a 15 second time penalty because I didn't put my wetsuit in the box and one of the rules of triathlon is when you're in transition any equipment that you take off has to go in a box next to your bike and I threw my wetsuit didn't end up in the box I had a 15 second time penalty so I've done a training session with you and that really kind of shot me the level of kind of um restriction on getting things just perfectly um, in terms of having to put your helmet on the bike in a certain way, having to put you, your wetsuit in the box. And the transitions are so important. And there's a lot of skill involved in this sport, not just the natural overarching uh, disciplines themselves, but just on how you actually get through the race. How do you prepare? How do you train for that kind of sport? Because obviously it's very arduous. Do you know what I mean? You're talking about nearly two hours worth, even on your best day. So how do you get like mentally and physically prepared for something like this? So it is a lot of training. I think when I was sort of at my peak and doing the most training, it was 30 plus hours a week. Um, and that would be obviously swim, bike, run, and then gym work as well. And then on top of that, you've got to add in transition practice, which is such a key part, like you said, of triathlon. You can win or lose a race by having a bad transition. If you on the first transition, have a really bad transition and miss the front pack and the front pack's gone, that can be game over for you. And similarly on the second transition, while it's not quite as vital, um, you can lose some you know, vital seconds before you head out on the run. And if your competitors have already got 10 seconds on you, it's quite hard to, to mm. pull back. Just so, for the listeners who might, might never have heard this before, what actually is a transition? So a transition is where you move from one discipline to another. So transition one is when you go from swim to bike. So you run out of the water. If you've got a wetsuit on, you've got to take your wetsuit off. You've got to put your helmet on. You've got to grab your bike. You run, jump on. So it's literally just the transition between between the sports where you've got to change your equipment. If you ever watch sort of an elite level race, especially over the Olympic distance or sprint distance, they are so fast. And it's, it's quite impressive to watch how quickly you can get changed and get your equipment on before the next leg. Wow. So one thing I've really noticed about your career as well, is that it's been full of ups and downs, right? Like different places, different positions and everything else. What's it like having to like deal with the highs and the lows of this sport? Uh, do you know, I used to actually hate that that was my narrative, that <laughs> I was always the person that was injured, always coming back from injury. And I think as I've got older, and especially now that I've come to the end of my career, I really appreciate the lessons that I learned by having such a sort of tough career and such an eventful career. I think it really sort of helped me appreciate the highs a lot more. I've learned a lot during my career and really carry those lessons into, into real life, you know, now that I've got to have a real job and yeah, I guess continue my life after sport. There's so much that I can take from, from those periods. And I think it's very easy and I think it's the same with social media, but you often only see the good side of life, right? You see the highlight reel and you watch professional athletes competing and you think, wow, what a life. But there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes and it's never as glamorous as, as you think. And the hard times are, are really, really hard. And sport is all about success, right? But, you know, at an elite level, it's all about medal delivery and those that are doing well get rewarded and you very quickly sort of become last week's news if you're not performing. So you've got to really deal with being sort of flavor of the month and then the next month sort of being forgotten about and flying under the radar. And that's a bit of a roller coaster as, you know, as an athlete, sort of having all the support at one point and then the next minute not having that support. And I've definitely gone through the ups and ups and downs with that and, and come through some really tough times. And I think it's built me, made me a stronger person overall. It's funny you say that because as soon as you were saying it, it was kind of triggering me as well because even in like, I don't know, the influence or celebrity world. And obviously I did Love Island in 2016 and then your flavor of the month. And then the year after that, the new series comes out and you quickly, slowly but surely get forgotten about. And it's a constant battle to try and stay almost relevant in a way. And it's not something I try to get wrapped up in, but in terms of building my personal brand and, and using my platform to build my business and everything else, you kind of need to play that game a little bit. And it is relentless Everything you just said then, it kind of, for me, correlated to life a little bit. There's just moments when you're feeling on top of the world. And I, I felt like a month ago, I felt unstoppable. And I've just been on a holiday. And for whatever reason over there, because I had so much thinking time, I started to let things creep in. And I was doubting myself. I was going, what's going on here now? Because I should be the happiest I've ever been. I was, I was so happy before I went away and everything else. But then I just realized that life just comes in waves. And there's a lot that you just said there that kind of resonated. Yeah, well, 100% it does. And I think in whatever you're doing in your life, like you say, I think 
everyone has a similar story. It's just sort of in a different stadium almost. Yeah. And I think you just have to always be true to yourself, true to your values. And is and I think if you can reflect back, even during the highs and lows and know that you're working hard and like I say, staying true to what you believe in, then I think you can stay on a bit of a, a bit of an even even keel. One of the mistakes I made during my career is I attach, attached a lot of my value to how I was going to perform at the Olympic Games. And my whole sort of life was based around going to the Olympics in Rio and winning a medal. And I put so much pressure on myself. I felt like, you know, I was there representing my friends, my family, everybody that had ever supported me over the years. And when I didn't deliver, I ended up finishing fourth. The and your flat, it was your flatmate who beat you, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, we had a, a sprint finish uh, with Vicky, who is to this, to this day one of my best friends. She was my bridesmaid last year. I was her bridesmaid the year before, so we're still the best of friends. But it came down to a sprint finish a sprint between the two of us. Finish, yeah, for for a medal for the thir- for the third medal, the last medal. Vicky out sprinted me, so she won, and I finished fourth. And my whole world literally fell apart and it took me 18 months to get over that because I attached so much of my own self-worth to that one performance. And I think, you know, it, it can be the same in any, you know, walk of life. And I think it's realizing that that was just one day and one performance and coming forth doesn't make me any less of a human or any less of a person, but it's actually having to find that out and realize that for yourself. That was an 18-month journey for me, I think, to sort of come to terms with that. And there's still some days where I look back and it makes me really sad to think about that day. Um, I would never, ever watch the race back. Um, I don't think I could put myself through that. But I'm now at a place where I'm at peace with that. And I know that, you know, it hasn't changed my worth as a person mm. or as an athlete. You know, I can still look back at my career and say I had a great career, but it took a long time to get to that point. Oh, my God. I've just got tingles then, like, thinking about that moment. So you, you're in a... Olympic race, the big moment that you've been building up for so many years and you're coming down to a sprint finish with one of your best friends. What was going through your mind? Did you think you could beat her? Yeah, I think it, for me, it didn't dawn on me until maybe the last three minutes of the race that actually it's, it's, this is between me and Vicky and one of us is going to get a medal here and one of us isn't. And she said she realized way before me, she's probably far more observant than I am. And <laughs> yeah. I think I thought I could, but I knew Vicky's got a really, really good sprint finish. Uh, there's actually footage of us racing when we were really young, like 14, 15 at the national 1500 meter champs in Bedford. And she out sprinted me there. So she has form <laughs> and history mm. for it. So um, I guess I thought I had a chance, but I knew it was going to be really tough. And uh, yeah, we always said, you know, on the course, it's business. And as soon as we step off the course, you know, we're best mates, but we always said we'd fight to the line and, and we did. So It reminds me of actually in school because I was quite a good long distance runner and I used to like lap everyone and there was just one guy who would always like run with me and I was always fitter than him but he, I had no sprint. Like these these legs, I've got no <laughs> sprint in them and I used to just sometimes get done by him at the end and I was just like, wow, it's so annoying. But just to go back then and, and talk about something you mentioned, it's so important to kind of separate who you are from what you do and that is so difficult to do. I find that a lot, again, like in the position I'm in with being on social media and being Scott Thomas in the external world. And when that's not necessarily going like that, I sometimes can doubt myself as well. But it's easier said than done. You know, do you know what I mean? Like people say, don't overthink it and you, you move on and everything else. But someone like yourself, who is a winner, like you, you obviously you've got that winning mentality. How do you find the strength after a situation like that to dust yourself off and then go again? Like I said, with that situation in particular, it took me it took me 18 months. And I think I was really lucky that when you're doing triathlon as your sort of job, it almost becomes habitual. So you get up in the morning, you go swimming, you go to the next training session. And I think that's what got me through because I was just in such a routine that I just got on with life. You know, I was at a point where at night I was lying in bed and thinking, gosh, I hope I don't wake up tomorrow morning because I can't keep doing this. But inevitably you wake up and you just keep going because that's what the routine was. And that's what got me through, I'd say the first six to eight months. And then I sort of started to realize like, this isn't how I want to live. I need to deal with this. I try to get, you know, speak to people about it, but I don't think I ever really opened up fully and ever really engaged properly with someone to sort of, for somebody else to help me. And I think I just sort of had to work through it all on my, on my own. And I think I was very fortunate that my now husband was very supportive and sort of didn't pander to my, 
I guess, disappointment and sadness, but almost just made me get on with it and never sort of, yeah, let me feel too sorry for myself. Some people might have said he was quite sort of hard about it, but in a way, I think that just kept me going and got me through. And in the end, I about 18 months after the games, I decided to leave my current training setup and start afresh. And I think that was the best thing for me at that time, just to go somewhere new, clean slate, start again in a new environment. And, and that sort of rekindled my love for the sport and also for life, I guess. Mm. When you said before that you didn't really want to like wake up, do you mean in terms of you didn't like the, the thought of having to get up and start training again and you kind of lost the love of what you were doing? I think it's just everything. Like I said, I detached so much of my self-worth to that medal at the Games that I just didn't really have any enjoyment for triathlon training or just life in general. Mm. And I just thought I disappointed and let down so many people that... I didn't really want to have to keep up, keep waking up and facing these people all the time. And ultimately, you know, my friends and family didn't, they wanted me to do well, but they didn't care that I hadn't won the medal. You know, I was still their friend and their daughter first and foremost. But it's really hard when you're in that mindset to realize that and to come to terms with that. And I guess it took me a long time to, to, to realize that actually I still have unfinished business in this sport and I still have a whole life to live, whether that's in triathlon or, or out of triathlon. Mm. It's interesting you say that because I find myself sometimes, I go into a bit of a, a loop in my mind where I can't stop thinking about something and I overthink it and I kind of drive myself insane. And I know deep down that I've got the awareness go, this isn't right, Scott. What you're thinking is not right. You will overcome this and you will. Go. But there's this like, my mind is so strong at trying to keep me where I am. And sometimes like, because I'm not drinking now as well, it's not like I can escape it or do something that's going to take my mind off. It's like, I'm just literally alone with my thoughts. And I listen to YouTube clips uh, like Tony Robbins. I listen to Eric Thomas uh, and like this motivational stuff and podcasts. And it does kind of help me. You know what it is? I think it's getting a new perspective sometimes, a new perspective and almost hearing about other people's failures to go, this is normal. And if you watch any documentary and if you look at your career and then we'll go through it in a minute, we'll do a whistle stop tour. It's full of highs and lows. It's full of them. And that's part of the journey. And no one just goes straight to the top and, and, and doesn't have those situations. I mean, even if you look at, for example, the Tiger Woods documentary that I watched, it, like you thought he had it perfect and what a life he had. But it's so hard to kind of get that awareness and that realization when, you, when you're stuck in that loop. And someone said to me recently, cold water therapy is one of those great things that just shocks your body and kind of breaks that loop. And it because basically you can't outthink. I got this off Chris Williamson's podcast. He says to me, you can't outthink overthinking, if that makes sense. So the best thing to do is kind of shock your body. When you are in that cycle, what do you do to get out of it? Do you just push yourself to limits with training or is there any kind of coping mechanisms that really helped you? I think listening to you there and then sort of reflecting back on where I was, I think training whilst I was battling with it all, almost got me through because exercise is that way of sort of distracting yourself, isn't it? From overthinking and, and getting caught in your own head. And I guess I was still training hard and pushing my body hard and um, I think that was kind of my coping mechanism. You know, fortunately I never ha never turned to alcohol or anything like that, but I can easily see how people do that and how it become, becomes their escape. And I think, yeah, I guess ironically exercise is what, and triathlon is what saved me at the same time as sort of pushing me sort of down that dark hole. It saved me at the same time. And, um, I think I was probably very lucky that I have something that's so all consuming like triathlon in my life at that point. And I, like you say, I think listening to other people's stories, you realize that everyone has their own struggles, no matter how successful or glamorous their lives look, there's all, always stuff going on behind the scenes and, and everybody's human, aren't they, at the end of the day. Mm. And, you know, everyone goes through the same, you know, the same problems and the same struggles and ha has the same self-doubts. Uh, and I think it's just trying to remind yourself of that. And I think it's really great now that whilst social media almost creates this highlights reel and, and makes people feel like their lives aren't as successful as it could be, it's also opened up, I think, the the amount of media platforms that are available now. It means that there's more voices being heard and more people are talking about uh, mental health or just how they deal with day-to-day uh, -day, day lives. And I think that's also great as well because it's just creating so many more platforms for, for people to talk and be heard. 
Yeah, um, 100%. And I just had a little bit of a realization as well that exercise gets me through a lot of my like overthinking and troubling times. And like I said, I don't have alcohol to, to, to escape to now. And I think I take it for granted how important it is sometimes. If you just are feeling low or you're overthinking something, you can't get something out of your head, going for a run is probably the best thing you can do. Do you know what I mean? Or some kind of exercise. And I think uh, the reason why I'm talking about this now is because I've been looking for my coping mechanisms and I've, I forget because exercising is so much part of my daily routine, how important that is. Um, so I feel like you did have the best formula to kind of snap yourself out of it and, and go again. But let's talk about your career then, some of the highlights. So obviously you started off in school, you were doing a lot of uh, long distance running, 1500 meters, and then you went to university, um, you were studying sports and... Sport and exercise science. That's when you fell in love with triathlon. But then there was a moment when you met Kelly Holmes. How did that change your life and what actually happened? So um, I started working with Kelly Holmes in 2004. So just before she went off to Athens to the Olympic Games where she won her double gold, she... Um, what did she win double gold in again? 1,500 metres and 800 metres. Wow. Yeah, so which was an incredible double to do. It's a really tough one. And I'm not sure, has anybody done it since? I'm not sure, maybe. But she started this initiative to help start supporting sort of the next generation of young athletes coming through. So we went along to sort of um, a selection day, really, and found out just before the games that I'd been selected to go away with her in the October of that year on, a, on Camp with Kelly training camp over in South Africa, where she was based. And then in the interim between being selected and going, she won this double gold medal. So it was for a 15 year old, I think it was 15 at the time, for a 15 year old, it was sort of mind blowing to think that this double gold medalist was going to be taking you away in a training camp and ultimately going to become your mentor. It was definitely a pivotal point in my career, having somebody of Kelly's caliber turning around and saying to you, I think you have the potential to be, you know, the the next star of, of track and field. And just to learn firsthand from her all her experiences and I guess she provided us with a lot of opportunities that we wouldn't have had outside of working with her you know it opened us up to sort of working with physiologists and nutritionists and doctors and also I guess on a bit more of a commercial level opening you up to sponsors and just sort of teaching you what it's like to be an elite athlete and the highs and lows that, that come with that because she also had a very up and down career, you know, had a lot of struggles and a lot of injury problems, a lot of personal issues, and then also had the great success that everybody, you know, obviously knows about. So um, I think it was great to have her in my corner and she has very much been sort of part of my journey through my whole career and ultimately pushed me towards triathlon a bit later, further down the line. And um, I was very fortunate that at London 2013, where I became world champion, she came to watch and gave me a big hug before I went on the podium. And I guess that was a real full circle moment. Wow. So just put things in perspective, because obviously you retired um, not long ago now as European champion, but you've been world champion as well. Yeah, so I was world champion in 2013. Wow. Uh, and I guess that kind of shows the roller coaster that my career has been. So I became world champion in 2013, but I didn't become European champion until 2022. No way. So there was nine years there where I had a lot of downs, a lot of ups and everything in between. Uh, went to the Olympics, got a lot of World Series podiums, but also a lot of years where I couldn't compete because I was injured and a few cha lifestyle changes and no stuff. No way. So. so with Kelly Holmes then, how important do you think it is to have a mentor? Because I feel like in my life, I've had some really influential people who've come into my life who have played a massive part in me getting to where I am now, whether that's my therapist, whether that's my business coach, even like my brothers, do you know what I mean? Being in my, in my life and almost mentoring me in, in their way as well. Like sometimes I think people are scared to ask for help. Um, and my biggest motto in life is go and ask someone who's been there, done it, got the experience. And sometimes you'll be surprised at how willing they are to actually help. I mean, I've noticed it recently on like LinkedIn. If you send a message on LinkedIn to some of the biggest dogs, right, in, in certain businesses and everything else, and some of my team have done it as well, looking for mentors. And a lot of them will come back. And I know I've done it myself as well. If like any young kids come to me and say, Scott, can I do a day's experience with you or anything like that? And I think it's so important to ask for help in those situations and learn from people like that. How influential do you think Kelly was then in terms of 
Oh, hugely influential. Um, I think for a start, just having Kelly Holmes believe in me oh. was more powerful than anything, really. But then obviously having someone who's had firsthand experience of being an elite athlete and everything that comes with it and being able to draw on that and ask questions and um, be exposed to, you know, sort of the elite athlete lifestyle through her was was incredible. And, and you know, I still draw on the experiences and the lessons I learned through Kelly now, um, even though, you know, I changed sport and ended up going down sort of a slightly different pathway to, to athletics. There was still a lot of crossover and stuff that I carried with me. And I think it's the people around you are so powerful and influential in your life. And I don't think it has necessarily be a, a designated mentor, but like you say, your brothers. For me, my mum was really influential growing up. She um, was heavily involved with British gymnastics and sort of always was a big sort of influence and inspiration in my life growing up. So it doesn't, like I say, it doesn't have to be a formal mentor. But now that I've sort of cross over onto the other side um, of being an elite athlete. I'm now working for British Triathlon as a coach and sort of looking at ways which my career can can move now. I've got, um, I've just started a mentor program and I'm really lucky to be mentored by Zena Woolridge, who's the president of World Squash. So she's just sort of teaching me all about the other side of sport and yeah. sports governance and sports administration and sort of showing me which ways my career can go now. And I think it's really important just to have people who've had experience and been there and done it and that you can draw from and learn from. And it doesn't mean your career has to follow exactly the same path as theirs, but you can learn from them and, you know, use them and lean on them to, to guide you. It's interesting you just said that then. It's so powerful when someone does believe in you, someone that you respect and look up to. It makes a massive difference. And something we talk about on this podcast a lot is self-belief, right? In terms of, I've had so many people on here, successful people, and you can just sense their level of self-belief. They just ooze it. And I have self-belief, but I also doubt myself as well. It's, it's funny, actually, you sitting in front of me in here now, I can tell that you've got that winning mentality, but you also, I think you're a little bit like me where you need that kind of recognition and validation from other people as well. Sometimes I wish that I had more of, of a sense of self-belief because I, it's, I'm so confident and I believe in myself in so many different ways. But then sometimes I need that extra push and that validation from people I care about. Um, would you relate to that? Yeah, 100%. You know, I sometimes envy those people that seem to have sort of limitless self-belief. And even though sometimes you think it's a bit unwarranted, you know, I'm, mm. not, I'm not sure yeah. where that's come from. You do envy them. But I think also having a bit of, of self-doubt also is what drives me to work harder, drives me to seek out opportunities. I'm not just sort of assuming that opportunities will come towards me. You know, I'm working really hard to make sure I'm keeping doors open and, and keeping my eyes open to opportunities that are around me. And I think having that bit of self-doubt drives that as well. So I don't think it's a bad a bad thing and it keeps you humble as well. I think it yeah, keeps your feet on the floor. It's funny because my business coach said that. He said, I said, um, I've just got this constant need to, to drive and it kind of drives me insane sometimes. And he was like, no, don't lose that. I love that. Mm. But then my therapist on the other hand is like, chill out, chill out. <laughs> well, not even chill out, but like drive from a place of passion and love for what you do, mm -hmm. not from a sense of worry or a place of worry. Yeah. And that's the balance that like, that I'm trying to find because I've been driving a lot of the time without even knowing why I'm driving. Yeah. Like, what am I driving for? Who am I trying to prove this to or anything else? Whereas now I'm getting to a point where whatever I do and whatever I achieve, I want to do it on my terms. I'm for me, not to prove myself to anybody else. But then that's hard because then my my level of drive isn't the same. When it's like, I was speaking to someone last night going, I'm actually quite balanced and content at the minute, but I've lost that killer instinct. It feels like I've lost that killer instinct. Maybe I haven't. Maybe I'm hoping that because I'm more balanced, I'm going to be more successful now and things are going to kind of flow and like I'm going to attract the right things. But it almost, when I'm not like this and like almost tensed up, it feels like I'm not driving enough. Do you, do you ever feel that? Yeah, no, I completely understand. And I think it, again, maybe it sort of comes in cycles in your life. So if you were constantly, like say sort of psyched up and super driven, then when do you get a chance to relax so that, you can then be that person again. And I think it's allowing yourself to 
have time away and to not be as intense. And that's quite a hard balance to find as an athlete because there's periods where you need to be super intense because there's a really big competition coming up and you need to be super disciplined. But there are periods where it's actually really important to switch off. Otherwise, you can't get to that level again, you know, that sort of level of intensity and focus. So I think it's recognizing when you're in each phase and knowing that it's the right time to be in that sort of phase and yeah. that mindset. Um, what would you say is your main driving force? Like if you go, because my therapist always says, go back to being a kid and I'm a people pleaser. And, and he said, because I'm always looking for love because maybe my dad wasn't around as much or whatever else. Where do you think your drive comes from? If you were to go back, because I'm guessing you, I feel like you're quite analytical of yourself as well. Do you know what drives you? I've always been really intense. When I look back uh, to being a child, I actually think, wow, I was so single-minded and competitive and determined. So an example would be every year we do Welsh schools cross country. And I didn't just want to win. I wanted to destroy the, I, I, if I didn't win by over a minute, I would be disappointed. Like I was, I was just ruthless. And it's hard to think like, where did, where did that come from when you're that young and you sort of have that innate drive? And I think endurance sports, especially, especially those that are really successful at it is they've got some sort of demon inside them that's driving them. And you don't really know what it is, but it's never really satisfied either. And I think you're only satisfied when you're working really hard. And I think it's just something inside me that makes me want to, to be the best. But ultimately, I love doing sport. It's why I'm still working in triathlon now and still sort of really passionate about the sport continuing to thrive, especially in the UK, because we're very successful as a nation within triathlon. So there's definitely that passion. You know, I, I love endurance sport, running, triathlon, but there's just something inside of me and I don't really know <laughs> what it is or how to describe it. Would you say you're a winner? I like to think, yeah, I, I think I am. Yeah, I think I like to win. I enjoy being the best. <laughs> a really good example is when I was at school, I didn't get head girl and I wanted to be head girl and I was devastated. I think it was just the fact that I didn't win that sort of, what was it? I guess it was a, an interview process mm. and a ballot at school. And I was just so annoyed that I didn't come out as the best. Yeah. <laughs> and it's silly really, isn't it? Like it wasn't even sport. It was head. So I think everything I've always wanted to do the best. I always wanted to do the best with my schoolwork, with sport. So yeah, I guess. It's I funny am. you say that because <laughs> I just played paddle tennis this morning with one of my mates and he's a lovely guy. I'm going to drop his name in. He's called Brad Howard. Anyway, lovely guy, but on the paddle court, he's a monster. <laughs> like he's just obsessed with winning. And it brings out this weird side in him, but he can't help it. He's like, literally, we put him in a sports environment. He's very much like that. And I don't think I'm the same. I want to win, but if, for me, it's more about respect. I just yeah. want to be respected. And I think that's because I've never been a natural sportsman. But in anything I do in business and everything else, I'm not there to, I'm not ruthless enough to want to kind of absolutely end someone in, in sports or in business. I just want to be respected and good at what I do and put in a good performance and, and just be proud of what I've put in, if that makes sense. And I know when I've not done that, but actually winning like to that final point, I don't think I've got that in me or maybe I have, I don't know. I don't know, but it's just, it's interesting because I, I know it's a difference in him. Like he is obsessed with winning and I know there's certain people like that. Yeah, I think and it, it's actually managing that as well as a person. Cause like you say, you want, for me, I would hate it if somebody didn't respect me or, you know, didn't think that I was a nice person or gone about things the right way. Like I'm a bit of a people pleaser as well. Mm. I think that's probably sometimes a, an asset, but sometimes a bit of something that holds you back a little bit because you're worried about what everybody thinks and about keeping everybody happy and not necessarily thinking about what makes you happy. But I think controlling that sort of inner demon to be the best is uh, something I've had to learn over the years. And, you know, it's not winning at all costs. Ooh, like that. <laughs> it's not winning at all costs. I think that's the way it should be as well because people can get hurt. Uh, but at the same time, it's like, but then Michael Jordan, apparently, um, I watched his documentary. Apparently he was a nightmare to play with as well. Yeah, he's sort of <laughs> next level kind of athlete though, isn't he? You know, you get these sort of anomalies or special people in the sporting world that are just 
next level. Mm. Um, he's definitely an example. In triathlon, you've got Alistair Brownlee and um, he is sort of next level athlete, once in a generation kind of athlete. When you say that next level though, do you mean almost like born gifted? Is that what you mean? Yeah, I think born gifted, but also with their mentality as well. Um, I've never ever met another athlete that can hurt themselves as much as Alistair Brownlee. And it's just sort of that innate ability to switch off pain and achieve what he wants to achieve. I think they're pretty special. They don't come around very often. When you say pain, do you mean like injury during a race or something like that? or Just being able to put yourself to the absolute well and shut off that thing that's telling, that tells normal people that you're going hard enough now and you don't really want to go any harder. They seem to lack that mm. <laughs> and they can push past that. Yeah. Um, so in terms of your like training regime, like we touched on it briefly before, but, and he talks about 30 hours a week. What would you, what would a day in the life of non look like? Because it's triathlon, every day is slightly different. But I guess a good example of one of our big days would be a Wednesday where we would swim an hour and a half in the morning. So five, five, six K. And then we'd go for a 60 to 75 minute run. And then we'd go out on the bikes for three, four, five hours, depending on the day. And then go to the gym in the evening. Wow. So like full on days um, where you don't really get time to sit down and do anything other than really than eat (laughs) wow looking back because that was throughout a lot of your even maybe some of your teenage years um your student years do you think it was worth the sacrifice yes (laughs) (laughs) i knew you were gonna say that (laughs) yeah you know there was there's obviously days where you think uh you know you miss out on a lot of your friends life's life events there's a lot of weddings i missed you know, I was away when uh, cousins' children were born or when my brother's daughter was born. And so you do miss miss things, but I'm very lucky that I always had very supportive school friends and very supportive family um, who sort of encouraged me to make those sacrifices as well uh, and never sort of made an issue of it. Um, well, it's interesting you say that because I ask myself the question all the time where, I've just been away and I'm not seeing a lot of my friends and that for a long time and they've got families and I haven't. I'm so it's difficult for me to come in, like see you guys sometimes because I'm a young single guy and and obviously you're going to see Adam and Ryan more because they've got families and I find it, listen, I'm not making excuses, but sometimes I, I feel like I'm on a bit of a mission and I'm going to have to lose out on certain things to get there. But then I'm always kind of counteracting myself going saying, is it worth it? And I think actually um, George from Represent Clothing, he put a tweet out and he said, the best friends he has are the ones who understands he's on a mission and they don't basically get on his case when he doesn't text back or he's not um, always accessible. But they're the ones that when he does see them, things are just like the same and they completely understand. But is that a cop out? Do you know what I mean? Is that a cop-out? I don't know. I don't think so. Because when, when you were saying that to me, before you said about what George has said, I thought, yeah, but your real friends are the ones that understand and want you to do what, you know, achieve your goals and do what you want to do. But I don't think anyone understands me, though. <laughs> Honestly, I don't think anyone understands. Like, I just feel everyone I talk to, there's always that sense of, I don't see you, Scott. Like, what's going on? And And it's difficult because I am a people pleaser and I do beat myself up sometimes, but listen, I'm working on it. Obviously the reason why I'm asking you is because your life must've been so intense and you must, like you said, missed out on so much. I'm just interested to think, is it worth it? Yeah. And I think now for me, because I've finished and I've got a little bit more time to do maybe more social things like go to weddings and, you know, I'm, I'm super busy, but it doesn't matter if I'm tired for work the next day. Whereas when you're an athlete, you can't be tired. Um, you know, you have to make sure you're getting all your sleep and stuff. I've just slotted back into that. And I, I think maybe I'm just really lucky that my friends have always understood and they've shown up to watch me race when when they can. And whenever I go home, it's like nothing has changed. And maybe sort of the friends that I've got recently are all, you know, in more recent years are all linked to triathlons. So they all understand mm. as well. So I've just been quite fortunate. And those that don't understand, I guess, haven't stuck around. Yeah. So. And, and my other friend was telling me this morning, He's quite a successful businessman. And he's like, Scott, he said, everybody I've seen now who've gone, who's gone to the next level, they've cut off a lot of dead weight. And he means that in the nicest way possible, basically saying that you can't take everybody with you. And I was like, I get that. But at the same time, is 
like your day ones and the people you've had around you, it's very hard to let them go. But he's on this mission now where he's almost saying, like, I'm, I'm going to have to basically cut people off now to get to the next level. And I'm like, I, I'm, and I'm like, I don't know if I want it badly enough to do that. Does yeah, that make sense? Yeah, that's, for me, that is pretty ruthless, what, yeah. you know, what he's saying. And I'm not sure I am at that there either. I think I've always sort of been very loyal to the people that have been around since day one, like you say. Yeah. And, um, and that's what I said to him. And, and to be fair, I've noticed a lot of like successful people, the, you, you start to see them and they're at the top kind of now and they seem to have a new circle and, and it's all about leveling up. And I was just like, when he was saying to me, I was like, mate, I said, honestly, I don't think I want it that badly enough. Do you know what I mean? In order to do that. Because yeah. I, like, I just, I'm quite content with where I am and I want to achieve great things and success. He was like, well, you're talking yourself out of it. I went, no, I'm quite content with where I'm at. And anything I get from me, I just want it to, I want it to be a bonus. Success and happiness is different to every every individual. There you isn't go. It? And, and he was trying to sell me his version of happiness. Yeah, and if it's not your happiness, then that's fine. Yeah. And that's <laughs> one thing I'm really realizing now. And I'm so proud of myself because I'm getting awareness now where I'm actually sticking to what I'm happy what I judge as happiness, not what society or not what social media tells me what happiness is, yeah. which is difficult to do. But one thing you talked about before, which I found really interesting, was you mentioned that you struggle to talk, obviously, when you're going through that that dark time. And it's weird because my therapist, for example, is called Men Should Talk. And it's, we talk about men talking a lot. And sometimes we always kind of have that kind of stereotype that women are always talking to their friends and they have girly chats and everything else. But it seems like you didn't have that. I think it's probably quite like men are sort of stereotypically don't talk to each other. It's kind of the same in sport in a way, in that you're expected to be strong you're expected to have it all together. And I guess I've always been somebody that's been given off the impression that I'm in control and I know what I'm doing. And yeah, I guess I just really struggle to be vulnerable. I never quite found, because I never really wanted to burden my friends and family with it because I felt quite selfish. I was like, rationally, I'm like, you finished fourth at the Olympics. People would give their right arm to even go to an Olympic games, let alone, you know, just finish off the podium. And here I am crying because I didn't get a medal. Uh, and there's so much other things going on in the world right now. Why am I being so selfish? So I think I was, I felt really guilty for feeling that way. And that's why I struggled to, to open up about it. And I never really found the right person. I sort of spoke to a couple of uh, sports psychs, but I never really found the right person to, to open up and, and talk about it. And that is one of my biggest regrets is, is not being, allowing myself to be more vulnerable. And I think that's, it's quite hard for, for anybody to be vulnerable really, isn't mm. it? It's funny, it's funny you say that. I feel like my superpower is vulnerability. For some reason, I've never struggled talking about how I feel. And I think that's how I've got through a lot of my dark times. I will sit and talk in a steam and sauna to a random stranger about how I'm feeling that day. For some reason, I feel like I need to talk and, and it saves me sometimes because I might speak to this random old guy in, in the sauna and he'll just give me a pearl of wisdom and it will just like, wow, I'm so, I'm so glad I spoke to that guy then. And obviously I've seen my therapist for so long and I completely get it. A lot of people don't like to be vulnerable, um, but I feel like through being vulnerable, you're actually showing your strength because you're saying by putting out to the universe, you're going, I'm actually okay to put this out there, I really back myself that I'm all right to talk about this. And also you help so many other people from doing it, but I can kind of imagine, that's what I was saying, because not to say that you're not the stereotypical, I don't know, girly girl, but it's almost like your mentality seemed to be a little bit different where you kind of had to look and appear strong. You're, you're an athlete. And do you think that's, that's quite kind of common in a lot of sports? Yeah, definitely. You know, I think there's a lot of taboo around people even working with sports psychs for a long time. And now it's very commonplace and they're, you know, a big part and a very important part of a lot of people's teams. But yeah, I think as athletes, you just don't want to be vulnerable because the whole thing about being an athlete is being strong and being fast and being able to cope with whatever's thrown at you and dealing with pressure. And the moment you're not doing that, are you sort of putting your hand up and saying, actually, I'm not good enough or I can't do this? But now, you know, I think there's a huge realization that how strong the mind is and how powerful the mind is and how much it can enable you to perform better. So like I said, sports psychs are a huge part of people's teams now. But I guess what I was dealing with was sort of beyond sports psychology. I think one of the things that's come out of it is that I am now much more open to talking about these kind of things. Like to be sat here now sort of openly talking about how 
you know, the, the place that I was in and, and how bad it was, it just shows how far I've come because I'm willing to show that I was vulnerable and I am vulnerable and there's a way through it. And hopefully, you know, that, like you said, that me talking about it helps somebody else realize that if you're in that place, there's a way out. Yeah, I think it's incredible. And I can tell even when you're talking about it, it's, it's new to you. And, and I think you're doing an amazing job because there'll be a lot of people in your position or with their similar careers who kind of need someone like you as a role model. And that's why, for example, with sobriety and alcohol, I'm talking about it so much because I know there's so many people. I wish I had someone like me to kind of listen to or look up to when I was going through that because there was no kind of, not role model, I'm not saying I'm a role model, but someone actually openly talking about their troubles with alcohol and that lifestyle, if that makes sense. I think what you're doing is incredible. But let's talk about the big moment and obviously you became world champion, but then obviously you retired last year off the back of becoming European champion. We've talked about some of the lows. What's it like when you complete that race knowing that you are now the European champion? What's that feeling like? It was quite overwhelming actually because I knew it was my last ever race for Great Britain. One of my last ever races. Why is that, by the way? Why was it my last yeah. one? Uh, I think I'd got to a point earlier in the year, so the start of the year, that I kind of knew that it was going to be my last couple of years of competing. My body was sort of starting to give up on me a bit. My mind just wasn't in it. And I just kind of knew for me that I wasn't enjoying it as much as I used to. Uh, and I think one of the things that really drove it home to me that I was probably ready to retire was the younger girls were getting really excited about the fact that they'd got starts for a World Series race. And for me, that was just like, well, yeah, that's, yeah, I'm not that excited about that anymore. And I think that was like, okay, maybe now if you're not getting excited about this, it's the time, you know, you come into the end and it's probably time to step away. So I knew I had Commonwealth Games that year. And for me, that's a huge thing because I'm Welsh and we don't get to represent Wales very often in triathlon. So that was my main focus really was, was the Commonwealth Games. And it was in Birmingham, which is the city that I started triathlon in because I was studying in at the University of Birmingham when I started triathlon. So that was kind of going to be like a full circle moment for me to go there, represent Wales in Birmingham at Commonwealth Games. But a job actually came up with British Triathlon in March. I always said to myself, when I finish triathlon, I want to have a plan. I don't want to just finish and sort of get a bit lost and not really know what I'm doing. So this role came up, I applied for it and was really lucky that I got it and they were willing to hold the job for me for six months because I said I wanted to finish, you know, finish off the year. So yeah, that was, that was sort of how I knew that that was going to be my last year. And it was really nice actually to have sort of a final date that okay, this is what you're working towards. That's the end. And then I've got something to move on to And afterwards. then to win as well, though. That yeah. must have been the icing on the cake. Do you reckon you would have retired if you didn't win? Yeah, because like I said, I got the job <laughs> and I'd set the date. And it was just kind of a fairy tale ending, it really. It was, wow. Yeah, I was, I'd started the run and I was actually quite far behind. And it wasn't until the second or third lap of the run that I caught up to the front girls. And I caught up to them and I just sort of found myself running past them. And I was like, I didn't expect this to happen. And I found myself in the front and then I thought, right, this is your last race. No matter what, you have to hold on and you have to finish finish first. So it was incredible, incredible. And it, like I said, it was a fairy tale and I couldn't have asked for a better way for my career to finish. And after that race, everyone's like, you can't finish now, you're on a high, everything's going so well, there's no way. And I was like, no, this is the perfect time to end because so many people, sort of fade away or are forced to finish because of injury, but I got to finish on a high and I feel so incredibly grateful for that. Amazing. But that moment when you kind of, you're almost breezing past the girls, like you said, I remember that feeling when I was running and there's no feeling like it in terms of, and you, you, you're taking your mind to another level, but you're almost in flow, if that makes sense. Like, how did that feel at that moment? Yeah, that sort of state of flow that you're talking about where you almost feel invincible. Yeah. It doesn't happen very often, but when it does, it is the most incredible feeling. And that's the feeling that athletes are always chasing. That sort of, it's, it's, it's almost like a high. And you are, you're sort of in a, a state where everything's coming fairly easily and you're not having to overthink it. And it is a really, a really special place to be. And it's what you work really hard for to get to that point. And don't get me wrong, it physically is hurting. But for some reason, you can deal with that pain better on that day than you can on other days. Oh, amazing. Honestly, um, you've been an incredible guest. But I just want to say, like, you know, the excitement you talked about the young girls have for triathlon. That's what I've got now. And I never thought I would because... I've always heard about the word triathlon in the sport, but never really looked into it. I always kind of thought it was a little bit out of reach. 
but I've been doing my swimming lessons. I've been out on the bike. I've been doing my running again. And it's just give me the bug. And I, I just highly recommend it to anybody who wants to try something new. Like even swimming, right? We don't do swimming um, really as adults since we were kids. And everything that I got taught as a kid, I've completely forgotten about. And I've, for the last 30 years, I've been swimming completely wrong. And I've been in the sea on holiday and I was just using my technique, my free strokes and my breath. And I was like, oh my God, I'm a proper swimmer now. And I've got the goggles and and even my running technique and being out on the road bike. It's just, there's nothing like it. So I just want to say thank you to you and the, the British Triathlon team for, for getting me so excited. We did an amazing training session and we're going to be doing a race on the 29th of July in Sunderland. So many people, so many listeners have signed up to do it with us as well. So it's going to be a big day out. Are you going to be there at all, Jacqueline? I'm unfortunately away, oh. but I would like to say a huge thank you to you for taking the challenge, being so sort of open about it. And I'm so happy that you're enjoying it. And hopefully, you know, you're showing what a great sport we have and getting more people involved because ultimately that's what we want is just more people to get involved and enjoy it and hopefully see the benefits that they can get from, from yeah, just doing it. Yeah, it needs to be main mainstream. Do you know what I mean? Like, and because it's so... Um, exhilarating and it just brings you into a different zone of life like me jumping in open water in media city i would never have done that before but it just makes you feel alive and just getting out on your bike seeing beautiful places running and it's just i'm, I'm addicted so um i want to say a massive thank you but i want to say thank you to you as well for coming on here being so vulnerable honest and i'm sat with a, a champion I'm really privileged and honoured to have you in the building. So thank you. Massive round of applause for Non Stanford. Yes. Thank you very much. And thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Amazing. <laughs> Do you know what? It was so refreshing to hear Non open up on this podcast because she's an ex-athlete and I know she finds it really difficult to talk about those downtimes and to come forth in the Olympics against your best friend. I can't imagine how that felt. And she really did open up on that. And I think she's overcome a lot in her career but she ended up being the European champion. She went out on a high and that's what life is all about. It's about taking the lows and riding them out and then getting back up there again. And she certainly did that. So a massive thank you to Non. And I'm just loving being part of this triathlon community. Everybody's got each other's back. I'm really enjoying the training and I can't wait to see everybody on the 29th of July in Sunderland. Believe me, this is going to be one hell of a day. Massive thank you to everybody who keeps supporting the podcast. Continue to rate, follow, subscribe, wherever you listen to your podcast and make sure you drop me a DM on Instagram. I want to hear about your takeaways from each podcast. I will see you next week for another phenomenal guest on learning as I go.